Hello everyone listening at home or wherever you happen to be, uh, this is the High Undercast. I'm Vance, one of your usual suspects. With me as always is Sav. Hello everyone. Uh, and nobody else. Uh, so it's just the two of us. This is going to be a sort of a bit of a light and breezy episode, possibly a bit shorter than normal, um, as we're in between uh, set spoilers and it's been a slightly busy time for us both. So, uh, you know, we're just going to crack along and see what's doing. Uh, how have you been doing, Sav? Yeah, pretty good. It's uh, It's been a... Not not a too busy time for Highlander for me. I've only entered, I think, two events of late. And uh, the rest has been a little bit of testing. But my testing has largely been uh, very different from the norm. I've been testing a few combo decks. So oh, we nice. might chat about them a little bit later. How about you? Uh, yeah, I've you know just been doing red-green things. <laughs> just, just red-green things. Just it feels like a things. meme. Yeah. A meme with your yeah. face, just red-green things. <laughs> yeah that's awesome well do we have a what's the point for this episode yeah we do uh so our what's the point for this episode is natural order um and i should bring up a copy of it i'm pretty sure i know the wording but i'm sure i'll get it slightly wrong if i don't someone's a judge is going to call call out some niche case that that occurs because uh, of the way we were it's never it. a judge it's always a player um <laughs> so natural order is a green card it costs Four mana, two of which is green and two of which isn't. As an additional cost to cast this spell, sacrifice a green creature. Search your library for a green creature and put it into the battlefield, then shuffle your library. It's a four mana tinker, basically, but it tinkers for green creatures. And it's currently one point. Not a recent pointing, but a relatively recent pointing. Like, it's been on and off the list a couple of times. Um, But I think the last time it was pointed was in, like, 2015 or 2016 or something. Um, And I think it bounced on and off within about three months or six months, was it? Like a very, very yeah, quick turnaround yeah. in its pointing and depointing. Yeah, so, so it was pointed for a little while, a, a bit before that, and then it got unpointed and then repointed and unpointed and repointed and stayed pointed ever since. And I don't actually, I think that was before, it was either before I was on the committee or just after I was on and I don't remember the reasoning for it. But basically, um, the reason natural order is a point is uh, there's a couple of fairly degenerate things you can do with it. Um, so the most common one that happens these days is Crater Hoof Behemoth. So Crater Hoof Behemoth costs, I don't know, a jillion mana, <laughs> and when it comes into play, each of your creatures gets plus one, plus one, and till end of turn, uh, for each other, for each creature you control, and they all get Trample and Haste, I think, anyway, whatever, or it's got Haste. Um, so the, the most common use case is on about turn four or five, uh, you're playing some elves or a deck like elves. You've got five or six creatures in play. You sacrifice one of them. You put a crater hoof into play and you attack for like 50 trample damage and your opponent obviously does not survive this process very often. Um, yeah. And so in terms of things that this does that are on our, uh, you know, reasons why we point, point things, um, it it makes games samier if you're playing this some portion of decks would be built, if, if this was zero point, some portion of decks would be built towards just every game doing this on turn five, right? Like, yeah, it's no fun. Just, yeah. It, it also, you know, is uh, a tutor, which we aren't in love with. It's very powerful. Um, and certainly for a fair period, um, Elves was one of the more dominant decks uh, that got played. Um, it won a Nationals, it came second in at least one, I think, um, it might have also won a Masters. And this was in the hands of none other than Lachlan Wardsmith, who is, uh, 
a pretty good Highlander player, let's be fair. Um, <laughs> but a bunch of other people have also played it to uh, fairly high degrees of success. I know a couple of people from Melbourne have, some other people from Canberra, probably people from other places. Like, It's a really powerful thing to be doing in what was at the time probably the most powerful deck um, that we'd found. Generally, the, the fairest thing that Natural Order is doing is something like Natural Order away a mana dork to find Hornet Queen. You know, that's like yeah. super fair. And even then, you're in your that's mid-range matchup. That's just fair. backbreaking. You're like, oh, how am I going to attack through these things? Am I going to try and get my Titania, make four tokens, attack through these Death Touch? And by the time that's actually happened, you they've been grinding you out too. The, the, that's probably the second most fair thing, right? The fairest thing is using it on turn three to natural order away a mana dork to get to Tanya herself. That's, and that's yeah. not... <laughs> that's also not very fair. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and the other class of thing that this can do, which was, I think, why it got its point the middle time... Well, one of the times it got a point um, is it puts Progenitus into play on turn four, which ends the game with a fairly high degree of inevitability fairly quick. That was a, um, I think that was a Dan on one special. <laughs> um, awesome. Another another quite, quite fair one is uh, natural ordering into a primeval titan and oh, yeah, prime time yeah. goes and gets dark depths and thespian stage. <laughs> yeah that's pretty fair yeah. but fair fair unfair right <laughs> yeah so i mean as, as with any look it's a tutor it puts the card into play immediately those are things that tend to get our attention it was in powerful decks that were getting played a reasonable amount that gets our attention even more as so before we move on just just to sort of a, a general um because i had a couple of people ask me and I don't think we've talked about it. So, so we've got the rules for... Do you have the rules for why we point things in front of you by chance? Uh, I don't think so. I can I can probably whip them up. But uh, the there's a couple of kind of cliff notes, which you'll probably remember off the top of your head, which are probably the relevant ones. Yeah, look. Um, anyway, you can find that on the Facebook group, um, which wasn't what I wanted to discuss. But it's about, you know, uh, decks being... Uh, overwhelmingly powerful or archetypes being overwhelmingly powerful or it narrowing the choices within an archetype to only one deck or making all games play the same thing these sorts of things where we want you know diversity oh and fun the most important one is fun like we want the format to be enjoyable and we want people to play it because otherwise like if the committee's not making the format such that people would like to play it we are doing our jobs very poorly <laughs> not everyone's idea of uh, wanting to play the format is exactly the same so destroying no, no, it for the fact that some people fun is the same yeah absolutely. exactly <laughs> like there, there are some people who are like yeah it's really fun i got to combo my opponent out on turn two five games in a row you know three games in a row um and you're like uh, like someone had fun um i guess <laughs> but once we once we've sort of identified a problem area there's then the discussion of how you work out what cards you want a point. Um, so if we take Elves as an example, um, Elves has got a lot of powerful cards in it. Um, and a number of them did get pointed uh, over a couple of uh, pointings to try and you know dampen the deck down. So, But, but the things we tend to try and look for are what, tutors uh, in a singleton format. 
tutors are inherently very powerful. I mean, they're already powerful in like vintage and legacy and whatever. Tutors are very powerful, but they're even more proportionally powerful in a format where you're aiming to have more variety. Mm-hmm. Um, so efficient tutors are, are something we always look for. Um, cards that give you a, let you exchange not very much of one resource for a lot of another resource. Um, yep. So. You know, Ancestral, single mana gets you three cards. Amox, no mana gets you more mana. Dark Ritual isn't a point, but, you know, it's the sort of card we might consider looking at in some very extreme circumstances, or Mana Vault, or... So, yeah, things that let you trade resources very efficiently for other resources are, you know, obviously inherently quite powerful. Um, and Necropotence is another example of a card that isn't on the points list anymore, but has been in the past, that lets you trade, you know, one life for a card, which is... A pretty good deal um and the other thing we look at which sort of relates to this category is cards that tend to cause the game to end sooner yep. so in our ideal world we'd like most games of highlander to have players have sort of at least three or four turns before they either actually or functionally end um we're okay with occasional you know turn ones even right yep. like uh, i've certainly sat down opposite jp and had him go all right lotus doomsday kill you and i'm like okay <laughs> uh <laughs> game two i guess um but you don't want that to happen too much and too much is again a fairly subjective um fairly subjective measure but it's why things like uh moxes and mana vault and Talarian academy tend to be you know pointed because they have a tendency on and channel have a tendency to cause the game to end very quickly if you let them and by pointing the fast mana and or the engines you reduce the ability of those decks to get free tutors and other things in other places because you know now they've got to spend two of their points on channel so that's two points that they can't be spending on mystical tutor or i don't know whatever so um and natural order bringing the conversation back around to natural order. Um, <laughs> we went into the roundabout route. It, I think it's it's fairly obvious where that one falls is, A, it does sometimes cause the game to end on turn three. Uh, pretty rare for it to cause the game to end on turn two, but it's probably possible. Um, but turn three and four kills are not, you know, uncommon with it. Um, it tutors, so it massively improves deck consistency. Um and yeah, so it's it's a fairly powerful effect. So when looking at a deck like Elves, these are the sorts of cards we look for. It's why um, I was having a conversation with someone on the weekend at the local event we had about um, the red black aggro decks, and they're like, oh, yes. well, "What would you what would you point in that deck?" And I'm like, "It's pretty hard to find anything you could reasonably point that isn't already at least one point." And, and it's the nature of a lot of these sort of good but not like, you know, lightning bolts or one mana two twos or... Like, these are just good cards, but um, sometimes you can just make a deck which is essentially just those cards and none of them are worth a point and none of them... Like, it would be kind of ridiculous in many ways for any of them to be a point. Mm. Um, And without making the others a point as well, which makes it quite challenging. Well, that's right, like... You know, if if I'm if we're pointing um, Gravecrawler for some 
insane reason. <laughs> uh, you know, is if grave crawl is a point, should wild cattle be a point? Should dread wanderer in the same deck be a point? Like all of these cards are so close to each other in power level that it's very difficult to realistically. I mean, for me, I, I would find it very difficult to realistically justify uh, pointing just one of them. Um, mm. And it's also a powerful, but it's an essentially fair deck. And as we've said before, fair decks doing reasonably fair things that tend not to win the game on turn three are mostly fine. Like, yeah, obviously some of them get points because otherwise, even if the game doesn't end on turn three, it might functionally end on turn three or four because your control opponent is just, you know, up seven cards and has a true name nemesis in play. And you're like, well... This game's going to go for several turns, but I've already lost. <laughs> dismal. <laughs> well, so maybe switching to things that aren't dismal. <laughs> uh, what's What have you been playing recently? Well, so as I said before, I've sort of just been playing um, Red Green Monsters. Yeah, um, in local events. Yeah, in local events. They haven't been. I didn't uh, make it down to Masters, and there haven't been any other big events going on, and probably the next big one is in... Brisbane at the end of the year. This is the quiet time of Highlander, the kind of it July, is. maybe August, September, October, or July, August to September. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I just did a bit of tweaking with that, put in some of the cards from new sets. I tried a, and, and uh, I'm sure you'll like this, a werewolf tribal sub-theme. <laughs> nice. With the new Flash um, werewolf? Yeah, yeah, because the, the new Flash wolf. I was tooling around about whether I wanted to have that or the Ceratops in. Uh, and I put in it in, and then, like, I'm already playing uh, Huntmaster and Arlen, and I think there's another card that generates wolves in there. And so I just put in Mayor of Averbrook. Oh, right, it, yeah. <laughs> like, it's a two-drop that's been close to getting in the deck on multiple occasions anyway. For those at home so who like, haven't played this eh. since it was in Standard or something like that, uh, it, it's got it's like a human lord and a werewolfy lord. Maybe just explain what it actually does. Yeah, so so Mayor of Averbrook is um, it's a two mana one one that gives all your other humans plus one plus one. The number of other humans in the deck is I think either two or three, so that's not super exciting. Um, but it's got the normal werewolf flip clause. So if no one has played any spells, uh, it transforms, and its back half is a 3-3 that gives all your other wolves and werewolves plus one plus one, and at the end of each of your turns, it makes a wolf, a 2-2 wolf. Yeah, it sounds like your um, deck's liking to spit out tokens. At least you only have to have, bring one type of token to the... the uh, oh, no, no, no. I, I've, got, uh, I've got wolf tokens. Uh, sometimes there's elemental tokens. <laughs> uh, beast tokens. Goblin tokens. Uh... Uh, Titania tokens. Um, there's a few. Yep, yep. Seems decent. <laughs> it's actually it's actually a weirdly tokeny deck at times. Mare's really good against control decks. It's okay against the other mid range decks, but like against control decks, if you play Mare on turn two or you know you mox it out on turn one, they're under a lot of pressure to make sure you don't transform it because it gets away from them pretty quickly. Um. You know, oh. Just making a 3-3 three, three every turn for free is, I hear, good. I was going to make a joke there about 
uh, how ridiculous it is to go land uh, $3,000 mocks, tap this, create a, you know, not even 20 cent rare or something. So, <laughs> and it's really powerful. But then I realized that's actually a thing in vintage. So about, yeah. what was it, like a year and a half or two years ago, there was that uh, human, uh, humans, I guess. I guess it was basically like a humans-based thing. But it was yeah. um, just a bunch of creatures, Cavern of Souls, etc., Moxon and Power Out Mantis Riders and the like. And it was just oh, yeah, hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, what? Yeah. And, and Mayor of Avonbrook was in it as a two-off. <laughs> so, well, there's yeah. some precedent for this not just being a joke card. It's actually decent. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so the other thing that I've got in there that I've uh, added recently, um, the other sort of package is uh, took out Green Sun Zenith for Strip Mine, added Mary uh, um, Faberbrook, I was going to say again, that's not the card I'm thinking, Renan Six, um, mm. and the new elf that searches for lands and Ravenap Excavator. Um, wow. And that's certainly, you know, disgusting. Renan Six is disgusting. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I had a game where all I did before my opponent killed it was I cracked a fetch land, played Ren and Six and got it back. My opponent attacked Ren for, I don't know, two or three. I played the fetch land, cracked it and got it back. They killed Ren and Six. And I was just so far ahead. Mm. Like, just getting back a fetch land twice uh, is a pretty exciting feeling. And if you do better than that... Oh no, and I got three things back because they had also uh, wastelanded my Tager already. So I'm just like, oh, just... Thanks. Um, wow. That's, so that was basically uh, one life from the loam, right? A two minor investment, get three lands, and... Uh, but also gain, like gain six, six or seven life. life. Yeah. 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 Mm, um, which I describe delicious. as decent plus. <laughs> <laughs> I really need to get myself a copy of Rainbow Six. Uh, I'm yeah, really so, excited to play it, but there's been a lot of, uh, you know, uh, proxy recently, so I haven't needed uh, yeah. to get one, and yeah. it just keeps going up, so... I think it's you know yeah, when was yeah. when's the right time uh, yesterday yeah <laughs> uh the, it's like that meme you know the right time was when it was printed the second best time is right now yeah yeah accurate <laughs> um <clears throat> and so you you've been uh tooling around with some combo decks yeah so uh recently because it is a quiet time for highlander there's only been maybe uh, one Highlander event per month around around that that uh, level in South Australia. So in in the between time when there is time between uh, work and training, I try to fit in a bit of testing, but my testing times haven't really lined up with other people. And so because of that, I thought, okay, why don't I use that as goldfish testing time? So I started to uh, test um, Citadel this uh, new Bolus of Citadel. Now, if if anyone hasn't seen it yet, I'm pretty sure everyone's seen it already, but it's basically a six mana artifact that's black. It's like black, 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 uh, three. And you're able to play spells off the top of your deck. And you're also able to, uh, uh, in order to do that, you have to pay life equal to its mana cost. And you can uh, sacrifice 10 permanents and tap it and deal 10 damage to to um, pretty much try and end the game. trinket text. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So most <clears> of the time, you know, this this type of deck tends to uh, get its namesake card out and then win the game, or it doesn't get its namesake card out and doesn't win the game. That's kind of yep. the, you know, the nature of the deck. Um, 
I reach my feelers really, really far and wide. Uh, from from a historical perspective, uh, Josh Solsky approached me uh, sometime before Masters to chat about the deck. And yep. uh, I think of all the people, he was kind of the first person on the radar uh, who had actually refined a list. And uh, a lot of people had talked about the card. You know, the, t- the card was kind of flashed up and everyone goes, wow, this is really, really amazing. But he'd actually put a 75 together, had tested the tested the deck. And um, we chatted about it a lot. Uh, I missed it, uh, the opportunity to actually test it before the Masters. So I, I um, returned to it after Masters. And then after that, I think it may, maybe about, uh, you know, a few weeks or a month after that, uh, Anatoly Lightfoot's deck popped up, and that was that had popped up in your local meta, I believe. So also, um, Tolly's build, Tolly's build would also have been from before Masters, but because he's you know a fairly busy individual these days, he hasn't had a chance to actually play it at any events. So, mm-hmm. so he, his gold... list popped up because I, I think a couple of people in the Discord were talking about, it and he's like, ah, oh, yeah, this yeah. is what I tried. It's it's medium refined, but could probably do with some work. Yeah. Yeah, that that's the one um, I've heard heard I had heard a lot about, uh, and so I chatted with Tolly a bit and uh, got a copy of his list, and then simultaneously uh, Drew Carter from the Adelaide Eternal team had been brewing a deck, and he said he didn't want to see um, uh, any other lists at the time. He just wanted to try yeah. and build something and see what happened, and uh, he's he then later on saw Anatoly's list and kind of saw some of the similarities and some of the differences. Uh, and the way that Drew tends to brew with his his decks is he goes as hard and as far as possible down one particular line to see how well a particular deck can do its unique thing and then start to dial it back and look at, okay, how am I going to dodge sideboard hate? How am I going to you know interact with their interaction? How am I going to get around uh, them stopping me from doing this? And so on and so forth. Um so his his was a completely different version of the list as well, and so what what uh, I did was in the independent chats between uh, all three was I got the opportunity to try and play each person's list and understand yep. that list better because each each of the all of Josh Tolley's and Drew's perspectives were so different and uh, it it kind of uh, underlined the fact that. There might not be an optimized Citadel build. Uh, there might just be different versions of it. And uh, I, I want to keep exploring that. So I haven't come to a hard and fast conclusion yet, but probably by the time of airing this airing this uh, episode, I will have, I hope. Uh, so <laughs> we, we, we can only dream. Um, and I mean, I, I think one of the things to keep in mind, sorry, just to butt in for a second, um, about... Maybe there's not an optimized list. As as we've discussed on multiple occasions before, it's it's very hard to find optimized lists in Highlander um, mm. because there are you know you, you talk to to those three people. I know Jake is also had a crack at building it, and yeah, yeah, he has probably as well. one or two other people. But that's you know let's say ten people generously. Um, whereas if this was you know for a modern deck, mm. that would be. Ten to a hundred thousand, yeah, people, which makes the optimization process much harder. But sorry, go on. My plan was to try and uh, under- understand their perspectives and uh, 
Drew's perspective is a really, really great example of one that is an absolute polar opposite of mine. So, which is great uh, to have him on on a team with me because when we test, he'll go down that route, that linear route to see the best possible thing the deck can do. And mine is always like, I want to be combo tempo control and this really, really hybridized. Can I do nine things (laughs) (laughs) once? The thing I love the most about magic is pivoting and knowing when to pivot. And uh, I tend to play like like the latest combo deck that I I built was (laughs) like, people looking at it, they're like, this is a control deck. Oh, no, no, it's combo deck. Trust me, it's definitely a combo deck. You finish the game with this combo, uh, but it's in a control shell. It it was the... um, the uh, recycle deck, so, so oh, like yeah, the, yeah, the yeah, replenish yeah. deck. So yeah, it's a, like a replenish combo, um, and it looks like a control b- deck, but it's definitely not a control deck. Um, it's a control shell. Um, yes, yeah, so, so ideal version of Bolus's Citadel is probably all right. So it's Bolus's Citadel. Yeah. And it's got a storm kill, but also it contains sneak attack and emerald. Yeah. <laughs> so accurate. That's really really accurate. <laughs> um, so so yeah, ha- seeing those dis- different perspectives are really interesting. Uh, and my final list will either uh, identify that A, being a hybrid of all of these three plus uh, decks uh, might be the, you know, the middle way and the most consistent uh, and resilient way, or it might just be that, say, uh, Josh's version with this kind of um, goblin welder type returning strategy is the best way or, oh, yeah. or you know drew's way of just going like linear into this tinker this thing out and just get it done might be the best yeah. way I, i'm not sure so um when when that comes uh, out people will see my list i'll, I'll do a deck tech on it um okay. and I, I probably want to field it in an event uh, before i do the deck tech just to give it a little bit of a trial by fire in addition to the testing um, but I, I feel like it's close. And the, the one conclusion that I did have was um, I had to test more Storm. So in the process of building the deck, uh, I then went to uh, JP and chatted with him. And he's he's fantastic. I, I, I chatted with him about his list. And then I, I just asked him like a really, really, you know, surface level question. Do you have a sideboard guide? Uh, you know, do, do you happen to have, you know, I'm just expecting this, uh, you know, little little sideboard guide of, you know, plus these three cards, minus these three cards. That's, you know, that, that kind of thing against control and this one against something else. And instead he gives me this um, essay, like a thesis about each, yeah. each yeah. individual card, what they're there for, why, you know, really, really detailed. And and I'm like, oh, this is like the holy grail of, you know, combo lore. <laughs> um, so thanks to JP as well for that, that support. It's something you get, I guess, from having played, from JP, because he's played the deck for, you know, so long. And different people will have slightly different views on some of those cards. Um, but it is really good to be able to go to uh, a sort of you know single source of quote unquote truth for a deck mm. and be able to go okay this is a a lot of this is going to be pretty good information and b if nothing else it gives me something to bounce my ideas off against because if someone like jp or isaac for pod decks or you know whoever mm. um says oh this is why i play this card you will sometimes have those moments where you go ah oh, I, I don't agree with that and if you're doing this properly you step back and think, well, A, first you think, well, they've been playing this a lot more than me. They might just be right. And yeah. I should, you know, strongly consider that my opinion might be nonsense on this fact. <laughs> but also, it gives you an opportunity to go, okay, so, well, look, I'll, I'll talk about an example that's in in my uh, sideboard at the moment. So I've got Blood Moon, mm-hmm. I've moved Blood Moon's uh, the red-green deck into the sideboard. Okay. Because 
when I'm building a deck like uh, Dinobots, Red Green Monsters, whatever you want to call it, um, I want to have as few cards as possible in the main deck that are just do-nothings. It's okay to have some cards like Mirror of Averbrook, which, you know, aren't always great and need a bit of synergy to, you know, really be their best. But the problem with a card like Blood Moon for me is uh, in about 20 or 30% of the times you draw it, it'll win the game. Or be, you know, a massive... A good 30 plus percent of the time you draw it, it will be uh, a brick. It will be worse than just having skipped your draw step in some space, sometimes. <laughs> and then you've got the sort of the middle 40-odd percent. It might just not do very much. It might be a mild inconvenience or it might be, you know, a medium inconvenience. To me, that that's the very sort of definition of a sideboard card where it's amazing sometimes and it's garbage sometimes. Um, and I'd, I'd rather have something which is... If that was at a three-mana monster or something, is what you're thinking. Like yeah. some kind of three-mana threat that about 80% of the time is asking your opponent the question and then gets removed and you move on with the game. Uh, but if they don't remove it, they die. Yeah, well, what I replaced it with was um, the two um, Legion Warboss and the better Legion, uh, Goblin Rebel Master. Oh, that's like literally, yeah, three mana. This is the exact three mana slot and it's exactly asking your opponent the question. So, yeah, yeah I, that's I right. completely agree. <clears throat> and it's very easy to get some minor advantage out of it even if they kill it on their next turn. Mm. Um, you'll, so... But it's it's really good to be in a position where you have someone who has a reasonable amount of experience with a deck or an archetype and says, oh, I'm doing this for this reason, because you don't have to agree with them. You should consider whether their experience, you know, might have shown them things that you haven't seen. But it at least gives you a position to go, oh, well, I don't agree about Blood Moon because, and, you know, think about it in terms of what they've said and, and that sort of thing, um, and gets when done properly, gets good uh, discourse and improves everyone's lives. Yeah, um, for sure. <laughs> lives, he says, as if magic is... That's the process that I went through, but yeah, uh, talking with like JP, getting that, that feedback was really important because I had played a little bit of Storm in the past and then I swatted a little bit on Storm and I chatted with JP a little bit before I did a Storm deck tech. Yeah. Uh, just to give the bare bones basics so that if someone wanted to pick up the deck and start just dabbling with it, they'd get enough to go and get them off the, the starting block. Um, but then I hadn't touched Storm for a while, and I wanted to return to Storm as the direct comparison to Bolas Citadel, because yeah. that's what we're looking at. We're going, hey, look, it's a, essentially a Storm Kill-esque combo deck, and I want to know, is it faster? Is it slower? Is it more resilient? Is it... Uh, is it more linear, but therefore better at doing its thing? Uh, is it more flexible? We do, is it more resilient to hate in the format currently? Like, I just wanted to understand uh, where it lay. And so then my testing became just goldfishing. So I was goldfishing Bolas of Citadel, then I goldfished uh, Storm, and then I goldfished more Storm, and then I really, really liked goldfishing Storm, and then I started bringing it to our playtesting sessions, and, man, deck is so cool. <laughs> It's really good. So, I, I thought you were going to end that story with, and now I own a Lotus. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it, it's a bit like that. I, I, I went online and I'm going, how much is Grim Tutor? It's the only card I need for this deck, I think. And, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. oh, okay. How essential is this uh, $300 card? I think the answer is not that essential. Like, it's a, it's a card that you would definitely play if you had it. But um... mm. there's, There's been a few times where, uh, you know, look, looking at the card and going... Uh, oh, this card is such a bad demonic tutor, isn't it? You know, just compared compared to oh, yeah. know, it's it's so far off, 
not far off its four mana tutors, but that one mana less is so critically so important. important, you know? Yeah. And yeah. Um, uh, so on, on paper, it looks terrible, but in the deck, it, it's, it's perfectly fine. You know, it does its job. Um, yeah, it gets sided out a decent chunk, but it's mm, perfectly fine. Yeah. And so uh, I, I started playing it in our playtesting sessions and just absolutely carving up with it. Like, it disgusting, just disgustingly, you know, your opponent just shreds your hand and then they, or they hold up counter spells. They, they, they just destroy you. They put a tempo threat out. They get you down to some low life total. And then you kind of go, hmm, what are my outs? And you kind of go through them in your head. You're like, okay, if I top deck Lotus here, if I top deck Yorgwill or whatever, whatever it might be. And then you realize, wait a second, I've actually got like six or seven outs, you know, like a really, really yeah. high level, even though at the point it's, it just looks so dire. It's way more resilient than it looks. One of mm. the, um, there's two things I want to say about Storm. The first one is one of the mistakes a lot of people make playing against, and not just Storm, there's a, there's a variety of combo decks that have this property, but Storm's um, the one I've got the most experience playing against, is they'll be like, oh, I've got like six pieces of Storm hate in my sideboard, this is going to be easy, and they side them in and they get one and they're like, yeah, mm. but they've sided out a bunch of threats, yep. and so the Storm player is just like, well, that rest in peace or that null rod is a distinct inconvenience <laughs> but you're not killing me for the next five turns so i can just sort of brainstorm and ponder my way into my sideboard answers for those things um and then just go off and and so you get people who are like oh but i had all all the all the hate i don't know why they still won and it's because you've given them till turn 10 to go off um you need to very carefully weigh that balance between disrupting the combo deck and killing the combo deck and uh it's not easy uh, yeah it's very much not easy if the storm deck the is not incentivized to, to go off it's just like yeah uh, just <coughs> land, they go you know play this tap land that's gonna tap yeah. for two mana next turn or the turn after or whenever i want to use it or i just don't yeah. use it and pass the turn <laughs> yeah it's it's really true like um it's one of the reasons that my zoo deck is built the way it is which is you know, to have as many hands as possible where you're definitely killing your opponent on turn four um, because you just don't want to... It, it used to be the case for, for the monthly Highlanders. JP was always there and he was always doing well and you just want to mm. be able to kill the Storm deck or put it under enough pressure that it has to go off dubiously. Yeah. Because um, it'll still win a fair portion of the time. But, you know, if it's going off and it's like, all right, I've got to do a gamble for a one in three... Mm. that's much better for you because some portion of the time it'll just kill itself. Like, it'll be like, oh, I've got to cast this, you know, risky gamble or a risky doomsday where I've got to say go afterwards or something awful like that. Or, you know, I've got a grim tutor and hope you don't have a bolt and sometimes you do. Or, um, Yeah. So the other thing, thing I wanted to say about Storm, though, is Storm is, although very complex to play, um... It's a good start if you want to learn how to play combo decks in Highlander in some respects because mm. a large portion of Highlander decks, Highlander combo decks, end up being functionally storm decks or at least yeah. their kill is a storm kill. So it still gets you in a lot of the, the right kind of habits even if it's not the deck you end up playing with. Um, I would definitely... My, my other piece of, piece of advice though for people picking it up who aren't familiar with it is... Get the list 
get JP's list or Richard Owen's list. Uh, I prefer JP's, but that's personal preference. Um, find the card Doomsday, take it out, replace it with literally any other card, and you will have a better day. Um, which is not because Doomsday is a bad card. It's actually a ridiculously powerful card. But Doomsday it requires the most knowledge in advance of how the deck works and what piles work and stuff. Um, I've seen very good players like Tolly pick up JP's Storm deck and be like, yeah, I was great in all of those games, except then I cast Doomsday and lost because I did it wrong. Um <laughs> Yeah, it's really, it's in comparison, it's really hard to do strategic planning wrong, where you kind of go like, oh, look, yeah, at, that's right. <laughs> I look at three cards, and I'm going to decide what to take. Or I look at 75 cards, or something like that, yeah. and decide five cards to take, and what so, order they're in, and so, I so die Doomsday if I do just <laughs> actually might be one that some of our viewers are unfamiliar with. We've talked about having on the points list on more than one occasion, uh, and it has never seen quite enough play, but the things it does are pretty powerful. So it costs three black. So black, black, black. Sorcery. Search your library and graveyard for five cards of your choice. Remove the rest from the game. So remove your, the rest of your library and uh, graveyard from the game. Put the chosen cards on top of your library in any order. Lose half your life rounded up. This is very much not for the faint-hearted. There are a lot of things that can go wrong uh, after casting Doomsday, one of which is having to say go, like occasionally you have to, but it's always a pretty big sweat because at the minimum you've paid 10 life to cast this. <laughs> yeah, um, so true. You, you've, you've often put yourself on like five or six life and you're just like, oh my God, I hope they don't draw a creature with haste or a burn spell or essentially basically anything at all because if they do, I'm just dead. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, pile has to involve <laughs> cards that don't have life loss. You know, you haven't planned... Oh, wait, wait a second. I do actually get attacked for two. <laughs> no, oh, I can't use that. I get attacked for two. Yeah. Now this, now this, this uh, painful truth kills me. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, so you do true. get to keep your hand and the most common piles are things that let you so so you brainstorm into them and then you have another draw spell in there and you've got sort of you know lotus and tendrils and whatever i i can never remember exactly how it works basically you can get a stack that deals i think you can get one that deals 18 easily um getting ones that deal 20 require your hand to be slightly better or you get to have slightly more mana in play mm. um but it's the most common turn one kill in storm decks is in most common turn one kills tend to involve like dark ritual uh, doomsday Doomsday, yeah. Yeah. Yep, seems fair. Yeah. It's yeah, a hell I, of a drug. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I, think, I, I think I'm addicted. It's it's so good. Uh, the, my, the thing that I'm addicted to the most is from going from goldfishing and just shuffling up and just going like, can I go off? Yeah, let's do it. And then going to play into playtesting and going, uh, go for it. Sure, yeah, back to you. You'll go. And, just, like, and then they finally go, uh, uh, you know, they've been holding up all this mana. They finally go, you know, deploy their threat. And, oh, okay, I think I'll go off now. I think I'll go off. Let's, let's do the thing. Well, all those hands where you're just like, ah, oh, it's turn two. And I'm not under any pressure. But I think I'm like 80% to win the, yeah. turn, the game this time. Oh, yeah. Um, do I just go for it? And sometimes you definitely should because, you know, they'll have more counter magic or they might thought seize you or whatever. Yeah, it's it's definitely a deck that rewards a lot of practice. And it's true for a lot of other, um, a lot of the other combo decks in the format is they do reward a lot of practice, um, learning the weird intricacies of situations you can get yourself into. Mm. Um, oh, for sure. But it, it is, that 
that skill of um, which you need to some extent with other decks, but of like you need a much more refined sort of estimation of how likely a particular line is to win you the game. You know, in a, in a deck like uh, Zoo or in a control deck, you're like, okay, so if I make this set of plays, then I'm medium likely to win the game three turns from now. If I make this other set of plays, I'm not as likely, but I'm less likely to die, blah, blah, blah. You know, all, all of those decisions that get made all the time. But yeah, in, in a deck like Storm, it is often, all right, so if I cast Gamble and don't have to discard my Lotus, mm. I win the game. Okay, cool. Um, let's go for it. Um, anyway, yeah. Yeah, sweet. Well, in in conclusion, uh, I uh, tested a bunch of Storm. I've really been liking it. Uh, I've been constantly directly comparing it back to Bolas Citadel, different versions until I can find yeah. a decent version. And in conclusion, the Bolas Citadel version I'll come up with will most likely be something that has a reason to not play Storm. Uh, yeah. Because it's currently, they're all kind of sitting at not quite as good as Storm, which is why I wanted to play it as much as possible. It's going to most likely do something different, you know, something... Yeah. Uh, something something that puts you in a different vein, uh, you know, being more resilient or being more uh, flexible or you know being more uh, kind of um, hybridy. Uh, casting so, more emeralds. Casting more emeralds, more sneak attacks. The way the way magic <laughs> intended, you know. <laughs> so on to, on to different news. Um, in terms of your local meta, what what's been doing well recently? It's actually the camera meta is always fairly um, varied. Partially, it's because. You know, Canberra is um, smaller than Melbourne and Adelaide and so on. Um, the events are often sort of 12 to 15 players. Mm. Um, They're quite frequent as well, right? Monthly. Yeah, okay. I think there's also some FNMs that happen at Jolt occasionally, but I mostly can't get there. And yeah, so, so let me actually look on Facebook because rather than making up what made the top eight why don't i you know have some kind of facts <laughs> so i went three two um had some really good games where against green white where he just squeaked it out against me um had some games against uh a bant flash deck where i got mercilessly crushed like you know it, it was a bit to do with draws and also to do with the fact that it being a god-awful match was this when flash was zero points or is it at one on that in that event. This this was uh, yeah. Flash was one point. Okay, yeah. So uh, the deck that came first was blue white landstill. That's right. Um, Pilot wishes to inform us is not a validation of Sensei's divining top having a point, even though he was playing one. <laughs> uh, lands, which is a, a fairly strong staple of uh, Canberra. Judas on green white came second, and O3 animator Angus on O3 animator. Oh um, yeah, yeah, I like that deck. Was the other one in the top four. So. Um, for these events, when there's less than 16 players, Gamescape usually just adds a round to the Swiss and takes a round off the top yep. cup. So, you know, cuts top four instead. Um, so everyone gets to play an extra round if they want to, um, which I quite like. Uh, it means you've usually got to go about X1 or close to X1 to make it, but yeah, whatever. So yeah, there, it was uh, we, we were missing some of our regular combo players, so there wasn't as much combo in the room as usual. Um, but it was definitely fun. Um there was a reasonable amount of Renan sixes in the room. Oh yeah, um, I think there was three or four out of twelve players. Uh, God's just so like yeah, it's, it's so two mana. 
It's uh, so extremely two mana. It's just at, ubiquitous in Legacy now, so it's a oh. really good sign of a very, very good Highlander card. I know I talked about it a bit earlier, but I mean, it's very easy to strip lock someone. Easy to get card advantage out of just getting back fetches, um, meaning you never miss a land drop, which is can be really important in a lot of mid-range and control matchups. Um, and even just the pinging ability to just you know kill an elf or a bird um, is so good. Mm, um, mm. Like just <clears throat> you know, you go first. They play a bird. You play Ren and Six and ping it away. If they can't kill Ren and Six then and there, the game is getting away from them in a pretty catastrophic way pretty quickly. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, Ren and Six is, has actually tempted me to uh, play Rug Life and not have seven points in the two blue cards, like cutting mm. a call and playing Strip and Waste and having Ren in it. It, and that's a huge call because I, I absolutely love the idea of the um, heavy-handed uh, uh, thug life, all the points in, and then when you draw them, you're just like, oh, I just can't lose. <laughs> um, but Ren and Six... No, I, I, I have never got the impression that you enjoy that. <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the, the, the printing of the card, I looked at that and went, ah, this is really cool. And then... Um, I was chatting with with uh, a variety of different people about budget builds for Rug Life uh, because they're all if you can't access a time walk and an acol, mainly you need the you need the the walk for it, the deck to be very good. Uh, if without the walk, it's uh, kind of a lot a lot slower, a little bit more like a almost mid rangey. So you have to be quite yep, careful yep, about your yep, card yep. selection. You can't really play cards like Goblin Guide, um, but. Uh, we were talking about Strip Mine Wasteland and Ren and Six, and then I went, wait a second, I actually think this is good. Like, this is really, really tempting. So I haven't yet sleeved that up, uh, but it'll be uh, Time Walk and then Strip and Waste as as the primary five points. Um, so yeah, Ren well, and Six me... is a really, really good sign for a, a, a format warping card, which might be a uh, indication of a point type of card. But again, it could easily a get a point or cool strip mine to get a second one back. Yeah, um, exactly. Like those are both distinctly exactly. possible. I mean, Ren, Ren and Six has a similar effect on me. Like, I am uh, certainly a man who loves sleeving up a box. <laughs> um, but Ren and Six has me strongly tempted to cut um, Mox or Sol Ring, almost certainly Mox, um, from Dinobots and replace it with uh, Wasteland, Green Sun, Zenith, and something. Oh, that sounds um, good. It's so tempting, yeah, isn't it? But it's it's, it's not quite it there, but it's so tempting. tempting. Mm. Um, but not as much fun. So you know, whatever. So in yeah, terms of the Ren and Six, real good. Yeah, that's that's uh, basically the conclusion. Big thumbs up. Uh, in terms of the local meta for uh, South Australia, um, we also have similar events uh, like you guys about once every month. Uh, the player range is somewhere between twenty twenty five. Um, and normally it's quite a mixed bag with uh, with uh, archetypes people bring, and every month is very different. So you don't tend to have one particular month. Uh, no, you don't tend to have one particular underlying trend. Um, the only underlying trend that is relatively consistent in South Australia is people are a little bit lower on combo than other decks. Um, yeah, and yep. they're a bit higher on the fair side, um, but. For the recent events, uh, there was a, a Good Games event, uh, and that was quite a strange one because 
for based on the recent printings and the new cards and all of the kind of hubbub that people were talking about, it sounded like it was going to be a, a very mid-rangey type of day. And so I thought to myself, okay, I'm going to play something uh, different. And so I played Grix's mid-range. <laughs> and it it's basically got, you know, it, I had three counter spells in the deck and people were constantly playing around your counter spells, which is great because they see the Grixis lands, they're like, oh, you probably got a counter spell. And, and I'm going so like, like nine counter spells in his hand. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And instead I'm going like, turn one thought seize, turn two search for Azcanter. Turn three, three minor planeswalker. Turn four, four minor yeah. planeswalker. Turn, and then I just go like, do you have a, do you have an answer for this? Do you have an answer? And they just they counter them or they remove them. And eventually, you know, Chandra Torture Defiant sticks and just goes a distance or Ashiok or you know whatever it might be. Um, yeah. And uh, I have to say, I had a very, very good time, and that's because I, uh, the the meta was exactly what I thought it was going to be, and I probably played the thing that was the best position for the meta and. I don't think the deck is, like, the answer. It's definitely not a deck I would ever rock up to in an unknown field. It is so vulnerable to combo, it's not funny. I Like, the, the sideboard, I was just like, oh, no one's going to play combo. And the sideboard just had no combo hate, and instead it's just, uh, can't see on a Versa, young pyromancer, just more, just more things to just mid-range grind with when, when I just want to take out the, you know, the counter spell and just <laughs> put some more grindy cards in. Um, yeah. So yeah, the the deck is uh, uh, hashtag not good, <laughs> but it was just the right deck for the day, and yep. it was delicious. I was playing, look, I was playing Enter the God of Turtles. So, uh, uh, I love the God of Turtles. Oh, God, the God of Turtles. If you haven't played the God of Turtles, when you uh, the, that it was the MVP of the day in a mid range meta where yep. you're just kind of going, oh, you've got a critter. Okay, go to my turn. I'll just tap. I'm just tap out. So I'll just tap out and I'll deal four damage to your critter. I'll mill myself for four. I'll uh, gain four life. Hey, guess what? Your race is almost impossible now. And um, yeah. I'll make, I'll amass this four four token. And then they do something. And then the next turn, you go like Snapcaster Mage enter the Gold Eternals on the other threat that they played. Ah, uh, it was so delicious. It was just one of the best cards of the day. <laughs> um, so, oh, that uh, fun. it was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. So that's uh, in in locally, it's hard to tell what's been doing well because it changes from week to week so uh, from month to month so dramatically but that was what did well recently and i i did the finals with another player uh james arthur who was also on four uh, three color mid-range <laughs> we're just like uh yeah we don't really want to play an untimed uh you know two-hour match of just mid-range grinding <laughs> let's let's just go to dinner we just went to dinner and split the volcanic island <laughs> yeah um probably about time to wrap up um, did you have any last thoughts? I've got one. Uh, I have one last thought, and that is uh, uh, I'll, I'll chuck out the uh, what's the name name of the game? The closed caption game. I've got a closed caption oh, game yeah, for you. Sure. So, uh, a f- quick background. It's a cool game that we do once every few episodes, uh, based on a viewer re- viewer request for what we would want like as a segment on the show. And uh, I watch show. Uh, I watch coverage of content with subtitles on, and uh, no audio sometimes because my partner's in the room at the time, and you know, try and just uh, uh, make things work smoothly. And so I read the subtitles, and here's one of the subtitles that popped up: someone cast Bilbo, as in Bilbo Baggins, possessive Bilbo's tricks. What is that? 
Bilbo's tricks. Yeah. It sounds like a spell. Oh, uh, is this going to be Renan 6? Oh, uh, it was before Renan 6 was printed, this one. Ah, oh, see, yeah. that, would, so, that would be a great Bilbo's tricks. Yeah, it, w- it would be. <laughs> it's, um, it sounds and we've like... just been talking about it, so it just fits so perfectly. Um, it, sound, it sounds tricks. like something, you know, uh, blue-black. I'll give you that much, right? It sounds like a blue-black spell. Bilbo's um, tricks. If you say it really fast, and the S from Bilbo's the Bilbo's... Tricks. Adds on to the tricks. Oh, um, Strix. Um, yeah. Uh, what's name Strix? You got it. Baleful Strix. Baleful Strix. So, Bilbo and, Strix. And it kept, kept on Bilbo Strix. So he casts Bilbo Strix. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. So um, Baleful Strix uh, has now been called Bilbo. Uh, yeah, cool. Yeah, that, that was that was my recent one that, that was uh, somewhat baffling. It, it also came up occasionally nice. as Baffles, Baffles Tricks. Um, oh, yeah. But that, See, I found that was, I that was too gone. easy. Yeah, so I gave you the harder one, the Bilbo uh, kind of alternates <laughs> Bilbo's tricks. <laughs> um, so the other thing I wanted to mention was that our next—I don't know if it'll be our next episode or the one after. Um, there's a set of commander decks coming out, so people should keep an eye out on those because they've been a bit better in recent years in terms of not breaking legacy with them or highlight hmm. them. Um, but do remember that this is the set of products which contained uh, True Name Nemesis yep. and was the first place Kess was printed and um, Scavenging yeah. Storm. And, you know, it's so many like, yeah, haymaker yeah. There have been some ludicrous bombs out of these. Um, so we'll do... Hopefully we don't have to do, you know, 70 cards or whatever it is we did for Modern Masters or you know, 30 <laughs> or 40 we did yeah, for... I think we're spoiled out. I think maybe the audience is spoiled out, right? It's just oh, been... Oh, God. Oh, um, taxes. But if there's any other episodes you'd like to suggest or any questions you want to ask, uh, hit us up in the usual places, which I will now go through. So uh, there's the Patreon. Um, we give preference to Patreon questions uh, when we get them, uh, which is over at patreon.com slash Highlandercast. You're going to sense a theme in these pretty quickly. Um, you can talk to us on Twitter at... We are at Highlandercast. Uh, we're on Facebook as... Uh, we've got a page at facebook.com slash Highlandercast. Um, there's also the regular Facebook group, which if you search up... Uh, Seven Point Highlander or Australian Highlander you should find. Um, there's a Discord which will be in the show notes. I'm very active in there. Sav occasionally pops in, writes several small essays and leaves. <laughs> the um, monthly visit. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> but we're, we're all there. We're all in the Facebook group. They're pretty friendly places. Um, so, you know, pop in and have a chat. And, um, yeah, that's the end of the episode. So thanks, everyone, for listening along. And we'll talk to you next time. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Sounds like uh, people are going to be sleeving up Renan 6 or Storm. That was a summary of the episode, so (laughs) hope to see more of them in the local matters. All right. Bye, Bye. all.